Good morning, everybody. I was thinking about Mark 11, 23, 24 this morning. How many of y'all know that by heart? How many of you know what the key operative word or aspect of that verse is? Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. In some translations, it's have the faith of God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So when did he say believe that you receive them? When they show up? When you pray. So let's pray and believe that we receive right now a word from God. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you are on your throne. You are on the throne, the only throne. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the creator of the universe. And Father, we acknowledge, we thank you for the worship time. We thank you for what you've already done, what you're doing. And we ask for a word for today, God. We ask that we would all hear and see what you're doing and saying for us individually and corporately. Father, as many people are in here, God, you can preach that many sermons. It's not about who's behind the microphone. It's about you and our relationship with your children. And God, we come into agreement and we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't come to you based on our righteousness. We come based on the righteousness that we've received through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and resurrected and paid the price with his own blood and life for our sins. And God, we are asking that we would have your heart and mind, that you would renew us and transform us and conform us to your image, not to the image of the world, that we would be able to prove what your good and perfect will is. The world's not going to know your good and perfect will just because you're God and you're going to make everything happen. You chose to rule and reign through us, with us. You gave us a place in your kingdom. And you don't, you're not dependent on us, God, but you gave us an inheritance, and we want to step into that. God, we want to see your will done in this county, in this nation, in this state. There's a lot of shaking going on right now, Father God. There's a lot of negative things that are happening, but there's so much good that's happening too. And God, we choose to see that, and we ask for more, and we ask again, give us our daily bread in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to talk about today is what I call the mystery of first things first. And it's something that God was put on my heart this week. And, I, and if when you start to think about it, there's thousands of examples of it throughout Scripture. It's it's everywhere. And it really is a foundational principle of how God operates from Adam and Eve all the way to Revelation. It's a principle of how he does and has and will continue to do things. And Jesus was the first person to, well, Jesus exemplified and lived out the mystery of first things first. And I'm, that's what I want to talk about. But before I do that, I want to explain, I want to talk about the word mysteries, because Sometimes in the marketing world, advertisers have figured out that if you don't have a physical, tangible definition of a word, that they can manipulate you. Like they can say, don't think about chocolate bunnies. Well, there's no, there's no tangible word for the, for the word don't. There's, there's, in psychology, there's no cognitive, tangible concept for don't. And so they do it with a lot more evil things than chocolate bunnies, and I'm going to stop there, but... They can get you to think about things by using words. And so if same thing is true, if a word does not have a meaning for you or it has a wrong meaning, even though someone says, you know, think about this, if you have the wrong definition, you'll think about the wrong thing. The word mystery is used 28 times in the New Testament, and the first person to use it was Jesus. 
And it was when he was talking to his disciples after the parable of the sower. And the other 25 times are used in the epistles talking about the mysteries of God. A lot of it's Paul and other writers. But mysteries are not mysterious. In, in biblical terms, mysteries are not what the world thinks of as mysteries. The definition from a biblical standpoint is, and the word is also translated as secrets, and, and there's, a, there's a wrong philosophy, there, there's, a, there's a certain philosophy called Gnosticism where people believe that there's secrets and mysterious knowledge that is only reserved for a few. And, and, and they think of it in a way of it's reserved for only a select few and it's used to mani manipulate others and to exclude others. But from a biblical standpoint, what it means is it's not something that is unknowable. Rather, it is what can only be known through revelation because God reveals it. So when Jesus was talking about mysteries, he wasn't talking about something that only the privileged could have. He was talking about something that can only come from a relationship with God. Mysteries are not mysterious. They're actually realities in God's kingdom. And when you think about, when, when, when we start to look at the mystery of first things first, this is something that Jesus exemplified. So before Jesus started his ministry, he was tested and tempted in the wilderness. Before he was tested, he was anointed. Before he healed the paralytic, he dealt with the sin problem. And it really warped the minds of the religious people because they're like, how can anybody say that they forgive sin? And he said, well, what's easier, to say you're forgiven or to say get up and walk? So there's a, there's a principle of first things first in God's kingdom, and it's counterintuitive to the way that we think from a worldly perspective. That's why we have to renew our minds so that we can prove what God's good and perfect will is. And that's why Jesus said when he opened up his ministry, he said, Repent. Change the way you think. you got to learn to think differently because my way of doing things is here now. It's called my kingdom, and it's different from the way that you're used to doing things. But when he was talking about the parable of the sower in Mark 4, the parable of the sower is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Mark is usually the most brief and less detailed out of those three authors. But in this one instance, he gives more context than the other two authors do. And he tells the parable of the sowers, in a crowd, in a ministry setting, and people are blown away because he's speaking with authority. When he speaks, things change. But they still didn't get the depth of what he meant. So the disciples came to him when all the crowds had left, and it says in Mark that they were at nighttime around a fire. And Jesus said, how can you understand everything else that I'm talking about if you don't get this parable? So he was emphasizing that this parable is first and foremost important it's a precursor to understanding, and he was talking about how the kingdom worked. Long story short, not going to go into this parable right now, but it, the kingdom works by God speaks, that's first. We believe, and then we receive, and then we speak. That's how the kingdom works. If you don't understand that, nothing else will make sense, so just stop there. Just get, get that is what he was making a big deal out of. But if you think about it, if that scenario had happened in today's time right now, they would be in danger of being in violation of some ordinance or law somewhere because they were publicly speaking and they were gathered and then they gathered again, even more close proximity around a fire. Don't think there's not an agenda for us not gathering together. That's why Paul said, forsake not the assembling of the saints. A side note, I, was, I saw an article this week where a teacher on a blog was venting 
and saying, what are we going to do about parents being able to see, I'm paraphrasing, but basically he, he was saying, we've got an agenda that we're pushing on these kids. We want to destabilize all their norms that they believe at home, their beliefs and values. And what are we going to do with conservative parents once they see what we're telling their kids? So there's a lot of bad going on, but God is using the shaking to expose pedophiles and slavery and the sex trade and, and agendas that have been hidden and have been in place and extremely intentional for a long time. But in God's kingdom, first things first is a principle that's throughout. The first temptation that Jesus overcame when he was tempted and tested was the lust of the flesh. It's the first temptation that Adam and Eve failed in the garden. And it was when Satan came to him and said, you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The context of that statement meant something to those people because they were familiar with where it was first originally said. He was quoting a verse, a statement, a scripture out of Deuteronomy. And it was when God was talking to the Israelites, or the Hebrew children, and instruct, instructing them on how to receive food. So God delivered them out of Egypt. That was bondage. They went through the Red Sea, and they celebrated. Yay! Then they were running low on water, and so God provided water. They went journeying three days. God provided water. Then they started complaining about not having any food. And so God said, okay, I'll provide food. And he gave them four instructions. He said, I'm going to rain down manna, Bread and manna, by the way, in Hebrew means what's that? It's like, what is that? What is it? Um, so I'm going to rain down what is that on the ground every morning. <laughs> it's something you've never seen before. And you are to gather what each person needs for that day. You are to gather twice as much as you need on the sixth day, but you are to not gather more than you need on a daily basis. So he, and he gave them a do and a don't and a do and a don't. They had no problem with the do's, but they had problem with the don'ts. <laughs> because he got mad at them when they were gathering more than what they needed, and they, were, and they were also not supposed to store it for the next day. And on the seventh day, they were not to go out and look for more food because they were to have gathered enough food that they needed on the sixth day. It's funny that he was using bread to teach them that it's not by bread alone that you live, but by the words that I speak. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to command the bread to come. I'm going to tell you how to pick it up. I'm going to tell you how to use it. I'm going to tell you how not to abuse it. And when you violate my law, there's going to be problems. When they held on to the bread overnight, it turned into mold and it grew worms. And they got sick. And so when Jesus said it's not by bread alone, there was a whole context and a whole reference. And God was using bread as an illustration to say, it's not by bread that you live, but by the words that I speak. And so the real secret is not, is not the things that I do for you. It's, it's me. Come to me. I, put me first. Listen to what I say. And whether it's walking on water like Peter or whether it's, it's um, you know, when, in, the, in the wilderness when they complained against Moses and Aaron and the vipers came and they, and they bit many of the people and they got sick. What did he tell Moses to do? Go make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and everyone stared. So it wasn't, it wasn't the bronze pole. It was what did God say that they heard, that they believed, and that they acted on. That 
And that's what God wanted from day one with Adam and Eve through all creation was to put on display what does it look like for an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, unlimited God to rule and reign and represent and put himself on display through limited beings that all they had was their belief and their trust in what he said. And so it was not the fruit that caused the problem for Eve. It wasn't, God said, go do, have all that you want, but just, he gave her one don't. Adam and Eve, one don't. They struggled with the one don't. It wasn't necessarily the fruit. It was the, the choice to say, I, I distrust what you're saying. I doubt, and therefore I'm going to unbelieve, and therefore I'm going to disobey. That was the whole problem. They, she didn't, they didn't put first things first. They broke that order. But all throughout, when we, from then on, I mean, from that day forward, from the very beginning, if we'll put first things first, he will take care of the rest. Jesus put that into a doctrinal statement in Matthew 6.33. He was talking to his disciples that were worried about all the things that were going on in the world. They were, they were looking. He was teaching his students. Now, look, everybody out there is freaking out about all these things. Where are they going to get money for? Where are they going to get their food? How are they going to sustain themselves? How are they going to find abundant life? Seek first the kingdom of God, that word first, and his righteousness, a right relationship with him. Find out, seek his way of doing things and have a right relationship with him. All those things get taken care of. It's totally backwards from our way of thinking. We want everything to be taken care of and then we'll go seek God. And it's a lesson that we all have to learn over and over and over and over again. And it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's not a, I'm better than you or, or, you know, you're better than me. It's not something, I find it's not something that you do once. It's a daily, daily thing. And when I don't do it, when I'm weak in that area, I start to see the lack of all these other things that I want to be added into my life. The, the germs, the bacteria that we're all so aware of in today's situation. It's funny, we're so aware of what these things are. A friend of mine was doing sheetrock work a week or two ago, and he was wearing an N95 mask. It was supposed to restrict particles smaller than certain microns. And when he took his mask off, there were particles on his face that should not have been there. And this guy works in the medical field, and he said, you know, these particles of sheetrock dust are 100 times bigger than the COVID <laughs> particles, which are a hundredth of a micron in size. You know, it's just, I think about these things because the, it's just, it's comical to me. I mean, not in a mean way, but I just, I just want to go, duh, you know, I mean, in the 1800s, when medical science was evolving, it was actually, there was a period of time where they looked down on and made fun of people for practicing hygiene and for, um, I can't remember the period of time it was, but it was, it was late 1800s. They started to notice a correlation between women dying in childbirth and medical students doing autopsies without washing their hands and then going and tending to the mothers in childbirth. And they're like, hmm, maybe there's a correlation, you know? But what did God tell the Hebrew children thousands of years ago? All these laws that look like don'ts, but really they were protections from things that were, could not even be seen because microscopes didn't in, in exist. You know, micro, germs didn't exist until man made a microscope. No, that's not true. 
you know? But they, did they repent and say, oh, man, we need to go back and apologize to God and, you know, give him glory because he laid out these laws and these rules. But in God's kingdom, laws are realities. They're not just things to do and don't do for ritualistic purposes. If you think about it, when God told his children to do things and to not do things, there was a blessing for their culture. There was a, there was a message to their culture. If you'll do things my way, I will do things that you can't even understand. You'll understand that I'm protecting you from these microscopic little bugs thousands of years later after you're not alive. You know? But there was also a message in it that you are broken and weak and insufficient on your own. But with me, I can provide for you. I can protect you. I can make you whole. I can, pay, I can remove the sin from your life that causes. And if there's microscopic things in this realm... Might there also be microscopic, unseen things in the other realm that are really causing all the things in this realm? It's a multifaceted message. But he doesn't, he doesn't say, if you'll do all these things, I'll explain all the benefits to you. That, that was part of the problem was he wanted to just put himself on display through a nation of people walking with God and just being different. Their finances were different. Their children were different. Their health was different. Their food was different. And for the longest time, they're the most persecuted nation in all of human history, and yet they have brought more, God chose, God was setting them up to bring a message to ultimately bring his son through. So it's, it's not necessarily about the culture and the people exclusively, but they were the, that was the method that God chose to bring it all together through. And the, the point is, first things first, what does God say in a situation? What is God saying over our nation? Bill Johnson shared an awesome testimony. We were all on a text string the other day, and somebody said, hey, Bill Johnson's on. And I got so blessed by his message. But one of the things he shared was they were in a hospital. Their grandchild was being born, and there was a problem, and they whisked the baby into the NICU, and they were doing something. And they were all praying, and his wife, Benny, just went and got alone with God. And she's like, okay, God, what are we doing here? You know, and she just got a, she got a word. She prayed it with authority. And the situation changed in an instant. And so many times we can be attacking and slaying and claiming and, 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 and feeling spiritual, but we're not necessarily aligned with what is he saying? What is first things first? And I just felt led to give this message as an encouragement and suggest that it's a theme throughout all Scripture it applies on many different levels. And for me, it's encouraging to know that there's an order to how God does things. It's not just based on, it's not based on personality or arbitrary things. It, the judge isn't going to show favor to this person because they're his neighbor and he likes them. That happens in our realm, but not in his realm. If there's an order and I, he says I can enter into it, then... That means that when I trust and I respond in trust, that's what the word, when I'm obeying, I'm trusting, I'm responding in trust, there are benefits and blessings. There's abundant life that I don't even know how to ask for. That's what's so cool about a relationship with him. But again, it comes down to first things first. That's our life purpose is to live on display what he tells us to, to, to say and do. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm not doing things on my own authority. I'm doing what I see and hear my father doing and saying. And so teaching or preaching 
is not just to come and hear something. It's so that we can be edified and we can go out and we can share with others. So I think that that's a, a theme and a, a message that we can share with others. We don't think about first things first is you don't have to necessarily preach it and push it down. So people will see there's something different about you. When God's favor is on you, not because he likes you more than other people, but because when you enter into his way of doing things, that's what his kingdom is. His order. That's, God's kingdom is, is he, he said, I'm going to do things in a certain way. We're going to, and when you'll do things my way, I'm going to get involved in your world, and you're going to, we're going to change things. Things are going to be different. But when you violate my principles, when you violate my word, when you choose not to believe me, when you choose to, to side with the enemy, there are going to be consequences to that. It's first and foremost about his glory. It's about defeating the enemy. He wants to defeat the enemy by being glorified. Not by, I love how Bill Johnson said another Bill Johnson thing. He said, Satan's not even a challenge for God. He could dissolve him with a thought. But he gets glory again through a relationship with us and being on display with children who love him even though they can't see him with their physical eyes. But it also says that there's an inheritance for me and you. And when we live and go after that inheritance, when we, every area of our life where we don't see that inheritance yet, that abundant life or those things that haven't been added, those can be frustrating and, and they, they can cause tension. But there's encouragement to know that God, all it means is there's a word yet to be spoken over that area. And so my promise as a child is to go after God and say, God, what is the word that you're speaking? And it's important that we we come and we assemble together because we all bring a peace and we can minister to one another. And that's why I said there, there's a reason. The enemy knows what first things first means and how it works. That's why he doesn't want us to speak. There's an attack on free speech because the kingdom operates through the word being sown. And if we can't speak the word, then no one can hear the word and they can't believe the word and they can't act on the word. And if he can keep people separated and silenced, then he, his strategy wins out. But that's not going to happen. We're going to keep first things first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for the message that you have for us. Thank you that first things first in your kingdom really does yield results. And it's, we're not coming to you to get from you or to turn you into a formula or to manipulate or to perform. God, we are just seeking as your children to live in response to what you've said. We want to walk with you. We want to do things your way. We want to walk on water when the world says we're going to sink and there's a storm. We want to feed the multitudes when the world says there's a famine and there's no food. We want to bring healing and see lives changed when the world calls sickness and disease just natural circumstances that cannot be overcome except for drugs from big companies that charge a lot of money. God, we want to see the supernatural. We want to see your kingdom manifest and display. Speak to us, fill us, lead us, help us to pursue and to go after the first things first, and to enter in more fully every day, to be transformed so that we can put on display and demonstrate what your good and perfect will is, because you are good, and you are perfect, and you are for us. And we thank you, Father, for your mercies. We thank you for the way that you're operating and moving through the midst of this crisis. God, we thank you for bringing down strongholds in our nation. We thank you, Father, for tearing down Roe versus Wade. We thank you for bringing an end to slavery. We thank you for giving us leaders that will respond to you and to do what you have asked them to do. God, we thank you for confusing the minds and the hearts of anyone and everyone that is opposed to your good and perfect will. 
We thank you, Father, for their salvation. We're not praying against them. We're praying against the work of the enemy through them. God, we want to see righteousness restored to our land. Not so we can save our nation and have live a happy, carnal life, God, but because we want to see you put on display. We want to see your purposes done. We want to see and be a part of the harvest. We love you, Father, and have your way in us. Be glorified. We want our lives to celebrate. You are good because you are. In Jesus' name, amen.